the speed of the impact and the descent rate, I was convinced people were very seriously injured, if not, if not dead, on the aircraft. The old pilot's plane tails. Adam Spink and Speedbird 38, part two. So, so we're, we're 10, 20 odd minutes past the incident. What did it mm-hmm. look like out of the window now? So out of the window, there's this BA777 uh, with all the slides out um, on its belly just at the beginning of the runway. Lots of fire vehicles, ambulances, emergency vehicles, airport ops vehicles surrounding it and uh, a few other aircraft dotted around the airfield that had shut down and had stopped taxiing. Um, but apart from that, you know, not much else. Two big divots in the grass from where the aircraft had, had slid. Uh, but we were very lucky in a way that it happened in January. Uh, it hadn't been particularly to- cold in, in the UK for the previous week or so. So it wasn't frozen ground. The ground We'd had a lot of rain, so the grass was very soft, which obviously absorbed the impact, which was which was a, made for a very good outcome for everybody. But in terms of what it looked like out the window, it, it again, just looking up, glancing up, I remember it, it looked like a movie set. It looked like a, a you know a, a scene from a movie. So it was very odd to be in that very, very familiar situation of your working environment that you see every single day. But looking out the window, you see something that you only ever see on TV. And that was a, quite a strange feeling to see that. Um, so at this point, some of the guys from downstairs were coming up and sitting down in position um, and, and letting other people go out on a break. Um, so, you know, at that point, we escalate the decision-making. Um, the the guy who had given, who I'd given a break to, which meant I was on the desk dealing with this as a supervisor, came back upstairs and we sort of doubled manned the desk to split the workload out. Uh, and then we sort of about 40 45 minutes i think we we then started to operate slowly uh, in terms of arrivals and departures on the northern runway only the southern runway was blocked i think for about uh, four or five days we we didn't use the southern runway from the full length for for that amount of time um so it was a very yeah it was a very um spectacular incident to watch out of the window obviously i'm saying all this with hindsight knowing that nobody died and there was only i think there was one serious injury and, and a few um minor injuries which you'll always get from people going down the slides in an evacuation uh so uh you know it was it was a good feeling when finally we went downstairs and there's a tv and reception in the tower which is got bbc news or, or sky news on and we walked down the stairs and saw a ticker going along the bottom saying you know no fatalities in british airways crash at Heathrow or something like that so that was the first point possibly up to an hour after the incident actually occurred when we found out that everybody got out okay so that was a great you know Philip to us in terms of uh, it buoyed us up because uh, as I said we we had assumed that people had died um, and then it was a case of for me anyway uh, as the supervisor I'm not in charge of the shift but sort of feeling a measure of responsibility I tried to get people to walk out through the terminal with me rather than getting a, a minibus out to the car park which you could be in your car within say 10 minutes if that walking out through the terminal can take 20-25 minutes just give people a t- time to cool down and, and um, relax a bit more um, as much as they could what I didn't want is people getting in their cars 
just having seen this high on adrenaline and thinking about all sorts of things about what they've seen and having an accident, you know, on the M25 on the drive home. Oh, absolutely. I mean, did you sit down <coughs> together before you left work and had a bit of a chat about it? N- not at that point. Within Nats, um, there's there's quite a, a good um, infrastructure of critical incident stress management. There are people on call 24 hours a day that if you have a, an incident or um, see something that affects you, you can call them and 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 certainly for any large incident like this was um, they called in a whole team and they were there the next day so we all sat down the following day to to discuss what we'd seen Um, but certainly it was it was clear to us that if if we didn't want to work the next day if we felt so affected by it um, then that was fine you know there were no no pressure put on uh, people to to work the following day I know a few other guys who were on days off um, or on leave you know it rang in to say you know if you need me to work to replace somebody who who should have been working but doesn't doesn't feel able to then then I'm happy to do that so so it's a great level of support amongst the peers and and the colleagues at Heathrow um so so we went through a, a stress uh, management session the f- the following day um which was which was really interesting actually we all um sat around in a circle and just described what we had we had seen what we could remember seeing and probably 12 13 people everybody had a different story or saw something different or you know and, and everybody together then we could piece together a, f- a fuller picture for us for us all so i think that helped a lot of people sort of uh, reconcile what they had seen thinking back to the reaction of the controllers and the way they conducted their job there sitting on the desk particularly uh, the approach the tower approach controller who mm whose um, lane it was, aircraft it was, that crashed. Uh, how about their performance? Oh, I, you know, the, the, uh, the reaction was almost instant. Um, as I said, the, the controller could see that the aircraft was in trouble and was effectively going to crash just before the Mayday call came out. Uh, so he was already reaching for that crash button when the aircraft hit the ground. The aircraft hit the ground, came to a rest, and um, uh, one of the pilots actually came on the ATC frequency. And said, Eva- this is the captain, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. Now he actually, I, I believe he did that by mistake because he hadn't switched the PA uh, yeah, across. It's an easy the, thing yeah, and, and you know, no criticism for the pilot there at, at all. Um, in a way, it helped because it it told us that the that there was a fl- member of the flight crew there and and understood what was happening and and we knew that they were about to evacuate. Um, so the the controller went straight back in and said that's transmitted on ATC. So it then warned the flight crew that they needed to flick the switch and and do the PA. Um, the crash call went on from the controller and then, as I said, that for the next probably ten minutes or so. It's constant radio and telephone coordination. So in our ATC headsets, um, if we're we can be on the phone and on the radio at the same time. So what we hear on the radio comes in one ear. What we hear on the telephone comes in another ear. So I've listened to the tapes and and um, the controller. You know there are people talking in each ear and he's responding to each. So he's he's maxed out, but he did a fantastic job of reacting incredibly quickly to to this situation that occurred with very little warning 
Um, and, and as I said, it's in that situation, it's very easy to get sucked into dealing with what you can see immediately out the window and almost losing track of what's, what's coming down the approach, what you're being delivered uh, from radar. Um, so, so he had the presence of mind of sorting those two, three, four aircraft out and simultaneously coordinating with the approach radar to switch those and then stop any more aircraft coming in. Um, so, um, yeah, the, the control and the team up there as well. I was very lucky, um, you know, the, the performance of the, I say lucky, I was very, um, you know, pleased with the performance of the guys, um, that they made my job very easy because they sorted it all out themselves. Yeah, I, I think we can say that their professionalism really shone through. Mm, mm. Oh, yeah. definitely, yeah. We got to the point where you have uh, disappeared. Uh, now, I'm just curious, um, when I was in the Air Force and when there was, whenever there was an incident, if I was the duty pilot in the tower, as soon as a, uh, there was any hint of an emergency, some very senior officer would normally come rushing up to the tower and try and take control. None of that happens. No, I mean, so there's there's nothing like that. But certainly, the senior management were there at Heathrow Tower for support if we needed to. And obviously, they've got their own responsibilities in terms of of um, escalating decision making and um, coordinating with their opposite numbers at, at the control centre at Swanwick. Uh, but it's very clear that that the supervisor is in charge of of the operational uh, control tower ops floor, as it were the controllers and the assistants at the time. Um, so there was, I'd never felt any pressure on, uh, for in terms of what decisions should be made. Um, so n no one second guessing you or breathing no, down no, your collar. Well, that's, that's brilliant. Uh, it's just the yeah. way it should be yeah. as well. Looking back at it, um, those uh, first vital minutes uh, after the incident, were there any major lessons learned? It sounded like it went, you know, just like a perfect simulator sortie. In, in a way, it did. Um, as I said, in, in terms of the effect on air traffic control, it, I know it sounds almost uh, facile to say so, but, but the effect on ATC was the same with this crash, effectively, on the end of the runway, as it would be if an, air, if, if, you know, an A330 landed and burst the tyre on landing. It blocks the runway, full stop. It blocked it in a far more spectacular manner, but it just blocked the runway. We train for a blocked arrival runway all the time. You know, it's one of the main things we do in our refresher training every year. Um, it's it's what we test our trainees on before they validate. So it's it's make the current situation safe, i.e. make the crash call if necessary. It's sort out the next two or three on approach. It's coordinate with radar to, to inform of a change of runway or to stop a stop aircraft coming off the stack downwind and, and onto final approach. So in terms of the muscle memory and the, the memory items, I guess, from a, from a, what the flight crew would talk about, it's the same. It's just this was really out of the blue and completely, you know, spectacular in, in the way that it happened. Now, looking at the other agencies involved, uh, any one you can single out uh, or any agency you can single out for doing a particularly good job? Not really, to be honest, and and I say that because they all did a fantastic job. The fire service, I think, were there within about eighty odd seconds. Good luck. Um, so they got out there and really it's quickly. completely at the other end of the airfield for them. Yes, yeah. Um, so that the, in those days they did have a smaller fire station on the old terminal two, uh, so that was a bit closer. Which was the the one the appliances that that reached the incident first came from there, but you know they they got there really quickly. Um, 
and uh, and there was actually I remember there was a just to the south of the 27F threshold so very very close to where the aircraft uh, hit the ground there was a an operate airside ops vehicle you might have heard on the on the radio at Heathrow we call them leader vehicles um, they're the guys with the the ping pong bats who marshal aircraft onto stand or pick up um, fod debris around the airfield and uh, and bird scaring runway inspections etc he was driving around that area and he actually saw this happen in his rear view mirror <laughs> oh my um, god really so uh, he wasn't on the runway um, he was just on the adjacent taxiway but he was driving away from heading away from the runway and he sort of looked up in his rear view mirror and he saw this crash happen behind him so he immediately turned around and uh, the the one difficulty I guess I'd say that the ATC faced was the sheer number of vehicles calling up for runway entry clearances and they would all call up individually um, it, it's a it's a you know a balancing act you know we, we want vehicles to call up ATC to for permission to enter the runway we don't want vehicles just driving on willy-nilly but in this situation that training that we've ingrained to the to the drivers at Heathrow and, and obviously any other airport around the world that you must call ATC for permission to enter the runway actually increased our workload certainly for for that controller because every single aircraft sorry every single vehicle was calling up for for a runway entry clearance and the controller was having to spend a lot of his time just broadcasting entry clearances which took up a lot of his radio and thinking time right but but in you know all the emergency services responded really quickly uh, the airside ops responded quickly and then even later on that afternoon and for the following few days all the airlines, certainly those based at Heathrow, so British Airways, Virgin, um, Aer Lingus, um, they did really, really well actually in terms... So the the runway configuration we ended up with was we used 27 right, the northerly runway for arrivals, and then the southerly runway from a intersection further down for departures. Um, so they would t- enter the runway about um, a third the way down the runway with the... the um, Mike Mike, which was the aircraft that crashed behind them on the threshold and uh, that distance off the top of my head is something like 2,200 metres so um, any aircraft that could not accept that reduced takeoff distance would depart on the northern runway for which we would have to arrange a gap in the arrival stream especially if that was a southbound departure which would then cross the climb out of the other runway gotcha. so it gets yeah. very complicated um, in terms of workload, so so the airlines that I mentioned earlier, a lot of the airlines for their heavy aircraft departures, um, reduced the load either through passengers or, or reducing fuel or freight to enable air, all their air departures to take off on that shortened takeoff distance available. So that really helped us to cope with that very unusual configuration. So I suppose the next few days, in fact, you were back at work and trying to sort all this out. Yeah, you? yeah. So, so the shift that that was on my shift at that time, we we finished, and about an hour after the the crash occurred, we came in the. It was our second morning, I believe, um, second morning shift, and then on our day three and four, we do afternoon shifts. So we had effectively twenty four hours off. Came in the next uh, the next afternoon, um, to 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 that runway configuration that I've just described uh, so it was very very hard work but um, but I think in many ways that's the sort of person who becomes a controller it's one of those people who likes to solve problems who likes to get on with it who likes to figure out a solution so we all got stuck in and, and you know we wanted to 
um, to sort of keep keep the traffic moving. So I, I'm, I guess overall the impact on the airport was kept to an absolute minimum. Uh, yes, as much as we could, there there was an impact um, on, on the airline certainly because a lot of them reduced their loads, as I said. But in terms of overall movements, it wasn't too much of an impact. It certainly a, a far increased workload over normal operations for us because of the unusual runway configuration. And when we did have an aircraft that needed to to use the the wrong in inverted commas uh, runway, um, but I think that lasted for about four days until they they moved the obviously AIB were informed the accident investigation branch they came out took lots of photos and gathered all the evidence that they needed and then they agreed uh, to to move the aircraft um, and then that was moved to the uh, to the north off the runway far enough away uh, so that we could begin using that runway again um, in a limited way obviously there was no approach lighting <laughs> because the aircraft had, had taken all those out when it when it slid through the through the pylons um, but uh, but we we could then operate a two runway Heathrow in 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 terms of normal runway length, which which helped us greatly. Uh, d- just for for those who know Heathrow, where Concorde is at the moment, out by the holding point two seven F, that's where this aircraft was moved to, um, and it was probably there for another year or so, I think, uh, while the AIB investigated. Uh, Did they uh, interview you guys? They interviewed me, uh, basically asked me what I'd seen um, and, and I, know, I think they, they spoke to all the controllers who uh, all the staff who were there at the time controllers and assistants um, but it, it was almost a formality because we could just say what we had seen um, we pointed them in direction some of the, the cameras that both we and the airport have uh, mainly for monitoring stand occupation uh, but, uh, but they might have had footage uh, depending on where they were pointing at the time uh, but there was n- you know, it was a ten-minute interview, if that. Um, right. Interesting experience to go through. Yeah, I would have uh, thought so. Certainly, but uh, yeah. Now, looking back on it, uh, I mean, what's the biggest thing that sticks in your mind? <clears throat> um, I I think it would be just going back to that point about don't get too um, sidetracked by what you're seeing out of the window. If you reduce an incident to to its constituent parts. It's a blo- for ATC. It's a block runway. There's no need to panic. Um, you just sorted. You've done it hundreds of times in your training. You thought about it. You've you know you've theorized about it in your in your brain hundreds of times. It's a set of actions that we follow. Uh, so it, it just if you just do that, do the, follow those actions, then you can't do anything more as long as you you, you follow them you know in the right order and and keep calm and very much I know you've said on the podcast quite a few times you sit on your hands for a bit you don't don't overreact you know you, you just take a few seconds to think about what you're going to do and then do it enormous thanks go to Adam for his insight into this fascinating incident and thanks also to the National Air Traffic Service for their permission to publish this interview If you enjoyed this story, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. Find us at airlinepilotguy.com.